welcome to Cinebabble episode 93. Happy Halloween, kids. I am your host, Ken. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, fitness guru and creator of the Ab Fryer 2000, Clint Jones. Clint, how is the world of fitness going? I think it's going pretty good, but I'm afraid the Ab Fryer works a little too well and Ooh. lives up to its name. There's a lot of complaints. Um, it's kind of an arrested development situation with uh, the the whatever that fryer was that burns everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, bacon smell in the air when Ooh. you're using it, and Ooh. it's not okay. exactly what people were after. I mean, that does literally burn fat, so I guess— That's you true. Know, uh, if, you, if you're desperate— Ab Fryer 2000. It wasn't false advertising. Okay. It does its job. Well, I'll wait for the 2001 then. But <laughs> how's it going with you, Clint? All right. Just living the spooky life Ooh, on the way to Halloween. life. Yeah, yeah, I think we have this Halloween episode, and we'll we'll probably get another episode or two in uh, in this spooky season. Uh, today, we get to talk about sequels, which I'm very, very excited yeah. about. Uh, because horror sequels are pretty maligned, and, and they can... Oof, they can Justly be rough. so for the most part. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah can, so it I can, it cannot be good. Yeah. So. All I right. Don't, well, I don't really blame people if they're not super into it. Yeah. Well, let's get started. Uh, well, can I sneak something in here? Some, you always sneak. Uh, you. It's like you wait until I'm <laughs> in full, introduce the next segment mode. And they're like, hold on, hold, hold on. You should just know by hold now on. that there's something coming. I, I guess. What What? What are we interrupting for? Well, this I'm time interrupting point? with some uh, movie news that I'm slightly a part of. Oh. Um. Every year there for I don't know how long it's been going on, there's been a there's this festival that goes on called the 72 hour film festival. Mm -hmm. um, and a group of my friends do it every year and I've helped out the past three years up till now. And so this year I helped them again. And um, we uh, we it was just a small group of us. Usually it's like, uh, you know, all the friends are mm -hmm. a part of it. But it was just the three of us and our buddy Sam who was acting in it. And performing. And so we did this thing, wrote it in uh, over an evening. Oh, is, and this, is this like a short film? It's a short film okay. co competition where you have 72 hours to write, direct, oh, uh, do cool. everything, and mm -hmm. then you have to turn it in by Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we. We got together. They you have to go. Well, there's also the caveat of it that you get this criteria that is given the night before that you have to interlace within the story. Mm -hmm. So it's not super easy, Sounds or it makes cool. it a little bit more difficult to mm -hmm. you know pre-plan. Yeah, and yeah. people do that, and it, you can tell those people uh, how that they really you know had a lot set up before they go into it. Yeah, it, it kind of takes away from the spirit of it. It's still fun, and so yeah, we we put this thing together and then we um, shot it over the Saturday or Friday for up to like six o'clock and then mm -hmm. they edited it the next day. And we actually surprisingly, uh, last weekend was the premiere for all this. Mm -hmm. And so we went to, we weren't, we were really happy with how it turned out for, you know, what you can do within 72 yeah, hours. Yeah, the limitations and whatnot. Limitations. And, but it was, it was actually something where I, we weren't embarrassed. Oh, good. That's always. <laughs> so we were like, at least we did like our best and it. it's like, yeah. we're not going to put it up there and feel, um, you know, like we wasted like a fools. weekend. Like fools. Yeah. Um, so yeah, me and you know our buddy Josh, yeah, yeah, and my our buddy Lucas, and we we did this, and so last week was the premiere, and we actually won some things. Really, so we we, uh, we won best set. Oh. Nice. We were up for best editing. We were up for best song, and we were up for like the 
best film of the oh, of the awesome. festival or in the amateur section. Congrats. That's cool. So it was like kind of fun just to yeah. like, oh, cool, like that people appreciated that thing yeah. and enjoyed it as much as we did yeah. when we made it. What's what's like your two or three sentence? Like, what was it about? Um, it's a, let's say, Christopher Guest style mockumentary mm-hmm. um, where Sam is a really talented artist. So we just kind of let him go <laughs> and we built a story around him that we needed to hit these certain points. Yeah. So we would let him go and just talk about his art. And they were like, okay, we got to get to this point. Oh, so like do this thing to get to the story points. Yeah. And so it's a documentary, like local, like public access art program about yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy's an artist. And you, as you're going through it, you realize that he has this, um, fascination with a one John C. Riley, <laughs> And if you want to check it out, it's online 100%. and it's called, um, the, the name of the film is I Am Me But Not. And uh, okay. you can find That's it on YouTube. That's a really good title. I Am Me But Not. That was a really clever uh, choice by Josh and Lucas who, when title. we were filming it, I, I had noticed one of Sam's paintings was leaning against the wall and he had that scribbled on the corner of it. Yeah. And you can see in the film, Josh like pans and like catches that and then yeah. they took that and used it i was like oh that was a That's really cool. good choice yeah, yeah, yeah and it fits with the title and just like how who sam is a, as, a, as an awesome. artist in person i will 100 check that yeah out. but it's pretty fun so right. don't expect the most mind-shattering like uh no it's it's, it's a contest it's, film. A contest. it's built around challenges where you have to do certain things yeah which yeah. always makes things it, more it, difficult it works as a piece but yeah. it's also like you're making this thing in 72 hours yeah. um but I, it was a blast, and awesome. we had a good time. Awesome. So, yeah. I always love hearing when, uh, even in the feature film world, when people have taken, they've just locked themselves into a, a hotel for three days and, and pounded out a movie. I think um, Cabin in the Woods, they did that over the course of, I think it was a weekend. They did they, they yeah, into a hotel or something? Going back and forth between two rooms. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, I mean, if you're already famous and you've already, it just seems like it would be a fun challenge to throw it yourself. Yeah. Um, Limitations can be very helpful. Yeah. 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 Well, and they can really spur on creativity. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, between winning, uh, you know, film contests and becoming more famous, Clint. (laughs) I'm not famous. I I think Sam might be now, but not me. You know, what you watching about? Well, we were stick, sticking with our sequels, mm-hmm. so I tried to watch some, but also, uh, man, there's been so much great stuff that's come out mm-hmm. around this season, so yeah. the first thing I'm going to talk about, which is a sequel, and the next thing I will is not exactly a sequel, but I watched um, The Exorcist 2. Mm. The, the um, Exorcist 2 does not Heretic. have, yeah, it's, I haven't watched it in a long time, but it does not have the best reputation. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to get that one in because I had never seen it. And because spoilers, we're going to talk about Exorcist 3 within yeah. this. Well, and Exorcist 3 kind of has, I mean, very publicly uh, from the beginning, they said, we're just pretending Exorcist 2 didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because 3 is a direct sequel to 1. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure, like, just, you know, just get yeah, the sure. chronological yeah. order of that's, things that's and see. the way a professional podcaster <laughs> should handle things. And that's how I want to operate. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. Uh, watched two, and I will say I understand why it doesn't live up <laughs> to the first one yeah. or even the third one. Is um, it just like a cash-in, or I remember nothing about it? It doesn't feel like a cash-in. It's just, it, like, because it, 
it deviates not wildly, but it's just totally completely different than mm. the first one. Yeah. Where the atmosphere, atmosphere of the first one is so strong and you kind of have to cut through it with a yeah. knife to get like it's so good in in um you just feel the tension of it the entire time. This has no tension in it at really? all. Really? Um like wow. it's not scary. It's almost just a drama. And um it wasn't scary. I wasn't interested in the story they were trying to tell. Yeah. Um, it, it it just ha- doesn't have a lot going on. Um, this is actually directed by John Borman, who did Deliverance, Excalibur. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. He's, Zordos, he's got cloud talent. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's like it's a bad film, but it's just like within the universe of The Exorcist, mm-hmm. like it just doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. it didn't work for me at all. Um, and I, it took me two viewings to get through the thing because it's just, <laughs> I, I was not that it was even complicated. I was just trying to like, what is everyone's motivation here? And yeah. I don't really understand why people are doing the things they're doing or feel so strongly about things. Um, also it has a very strong, like seventies in like it's from 1977. It has, everything is in like that high shine chrome there's a lot of like apartments where this just super chromed out and um and like it it just has a weird look to the entire thing um that i just couldn't get into um so yeah if i would say skip to (laughs) (laughs) if you don't feel like you're a completionist like yeah don't worry about it okay uh, first thing I watched, uh, I have many of the same adjectives to describe. Yeah. And that is actually a new film. It's Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Oh, okay. Which is the prequel that just came up on uh, Paramount+. Plus. Mm. Uh, to prepare for this, I also went back and watched the original Pet Cemetery movie, which uh, people complain about for some reason. But honestly, I, I think it's a great 80s horror film. I think it yeah, really I love holds that up. One. And and I, I don't quite get the criticism. Yeah. Uh, once you get to Gage running around at the end, there's some there's some rough practical uh, doll shots where you can tell it's not a real kid, but it's fun. It's fine, and and it's it's honestly it's a really creepy flick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sent me down a rabbit hole. I even read the Pet Cemetery novel. I was just like <laughs> full Pet Cemeterying this week, and so I was I was excited about Bloodlines because I I just love the concept. Uh, Bloodlines is terrible. Okay. Uh, it there's there's this tiny, and that's why I went back and read the novel again. There's this tiny little section where Judd is is talking and he's explaining that when he was young, the mm-hmm. first time he uh, encountered a time where somebody tried to bury a person mm. up in the cemetery, yeah. and uh, it's it tells that story. It's it's this father who his son is a Vietnam vet. Uh, and he just gets home, or no, they ship him home. Dead. So that's what bloodline is and, around. Yes. Okay. And they, th- he takes his body up there, but somehow the whole town doesn't know the kid is dead. All right. Uh, whereas in the novel, like everybody knows the uh-huh. kid is dead, uh, and that makes it freakier when he comes back. Yeah. Uh, but this, it was just, it was bloated. It was overwritten. Uh, it's, it's, it's trying to capture a lot of of horror and creepiness and atmosphere. Yeah. Where it's taking, you know, 10 pages max and turning it into an entire mm. uh, story. And so it just, you can feel how much of it is filler. Yeah. And just like you said about Exorcist 2, none of it is tense. Right. None of it is suspenseful. And they amped up the gore and the kills and all this stuff. And none of it. 
You see yeah. everything coming a mile away. And it was just, it was so disappointing. Uh, and it also, uh, if, if you take it at face value, it ruins Pet Cemetery because mm. it's such a uh, awful situation. Why would Judd ever show the cemetery to anyone if this is what had happened in the book? It's just uh, this kid came back to life and kind of drove his father mad and then his father you know, burn them both to death alive yeah. uh, in, in their house. But it's not like the kid's killing people or anything like that. So it's just kind of this creepy little folk tale almost. Yeah. Whereas this was trying to evil dead it. And ugh. Well, uh, going back to uh, Exorcist 2 for a second, it does the exact same thing where it kind of ruins one because yeah. it, it implies that they never got the demon out of her. Yeah. And that's the whole premise of this one is this other priest who, like, they do this mind-melding, like, lights thing that, like, puts their brain waves I on the same that. Uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Same brave uh, wavelength. And so he he does that with her and realizes, like, oh, th- th- it's still in there. And so it's his mission now to get it out. It's like, well, if, like, it what's the— It ruins the entire ending yeah. of the first one. Yeah. And oh, so it's like, stupid. okay, that's—okay, that's dumb. Yeah. Um, okay. What is that? Uh, the Bloodlines is that a series or is it no? Mo- it's, oh, it's just a movie. A movie. Okay. Thank God. If it was a series, I I don't even think I would have finished it. Yeah. It was that just the dialogue and everything? It just it felt. I don't know if you watched the Firestarter uh, no. remake or remix that they did no. with um oh what's his face used to be a singer anyway. Uh, <laughs> it was really bad. This was yeah. the same kind of like who who came up with this? Who thought of this? Yeah. Ugh, skip it. Skip. 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 I'll skip it. As is the theme with a lot of horror sequels. Yeah. Anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next thing I'm going to talk about, this was something I just put on randomly, and this is not a sequel, but I will say how, because this is a Stephen King um, story, and how Stephen King operates, there's a lot of things that are a th- kind of through line and threads that go through all his stories. Mm-hmm. So you could make the case maybe it's it's tied into his universe in some way. And this is Storm of the Century from 1999. Mm-hmm. And this is a screenplay by Stephen King that it wasn't a, a um, book or anything uh, before that. It was he wrote it for the screen. Yeah. And honestly, I think I, I wish there was a lot more Stephen King done this way because yeah. you can feel it really works. And there's nothing that it's focused to be a you know, this, this series and it's not missing anything that you wish was in there because, you know, you can't <laughs> flush out an entire book over a series. Yeah. So everything feels really contained within this story. And this is about a small town. Is it in Maine or Massachusetts? Always in Maine. Yeah. Yeah. Maine. <laughs> and it's, there's a uh, big blizzard coming and while they're preparing for this, a murder start happening. And then there's this dark and uh, mysterious stranger who appears. And so this um, town is trying to figure out, like, how is he involved? Is he who he's saying he is? Is he more than, than what he's saying? And it's about this like small community um, kind of unraveling. And also, you know, trying to hold itself together at the same time. But, like, you know, there's different factions against itself. Yeah. Um, and it's – I was, like, for a 1999 series that was probably – Network TV. Network, like, CBS. Yeah, not even premium cable no, or something no. where they could be R-rated. It was, like, CBS or something yeah. um, or ABC. I can't remember. I think it was ABC. It they was were ABC. the ones that were always airing The okay. Stand and, and The Shining and yeah. all those that they made. Um, 
it gets really dark in the and I was actually on board the entire time. Like oh. I thought everyone was really good in it in that kind of mini series like mode, but it, it worked and it had almost like a Twin Peaks feel to it. Mm. Like it doesn't get as weird as that, but it just like there's a artifice to Twin Peaks that I really love in like because it's on like a network. Uh, television channel you have to be kind of like you can't be too outrageous and you have to kind of be playing to the audience that's watching those channels so this has a bit of that but like in a nice way um and it was kind of the like when um here in town it was starting to get a little chilly Mm -hmm. so it kind of was fitting because like this blizzard's coming and uh but man it gets really dark and i actually really enjoyed it and it's, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of this lost like, or less talked about Stephen King story that um, should be checked out. I really enjoyed I, it. I remember watching it when it aired, and then I got it on DVD. It's never hit Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, but I remember really liking it both times and thinking like, man, they really, it's a ballsy ending for a network miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it really goes all in on its on its concept. It it doesn't pull punches. I was waiting for those punches to be yeah. pulled. Like I was like, there's gonna be some kind of happy catharsis at the end and everyone's going to yeah. get what they wanted. And but no, yeah. <laughs> they don't. And it's great. Yeah. Uh it's and better it, for it. It one of the things when we were watching Midnight Mass mm-hmm. uh that um Mike Flanagan did on Netflix. I remember thinking, uh, not in any way that the stories are similar, but just that idea of, and Stephen King does that a lot. There's a lot of characters put into a boiling pot of water Mm -hmm. and the mist, you know, some of them go uh, where their integrity kind of cuts through and other ones just give in to their lesser impulses. Right. And watching an otherwise quaint little town unravel, Mm -hmm. I think is a really interesting concept. Uh, Almost to the point you could say it gets repetitive with Stephen King, but because the characters are always so different, um, I I just love that that theme and that concept. Needful Things does it Mm. uh, under the dome. There's there's a lot of, not that that series was great, but uh, the book was, um, but a lot of things where it's just, here's a bunch of people, let's throw them into a, a, a situation that makes them. Does Salem's uh, Lot do that a bit too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this one I haven't not, seen, but I. It's not quite as much like people turning on each yeah. other. It's much more people reacting to the situation very differently. and, and right. But it is kind of like um, a community that's, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he loves doing that stuff. And even when you go back and read, like, the original Pet Cemetery and things like that, mm-hmm. those elements are there. He's really fascinated with uh, almost good and evil being kind of buried within people. Yeah. And extraordinary things or supernatural things bring who they really are out uh-huh. of them. Um, because it, it strips away all the niceties. And especially now, that's that's such a relevant and timely concept mm-hmm. because, um, you know, just, just watching people – who, for all intents and purposes, are quote unquote good. Yeah, you can watch them when put just even in politically divisive times. Mm-hmm. How they just like, who are you? Where did that come from? How did that just come out of you? Was that um, there the entire time? Just yeah. 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 <laughs> how much of that has been there yeah. driving everything you do? Right. And I'm just now getting a glimpse of it, mm-hmm. and it's it's you know it's scary, but it's just it's a very interesting. It's it's. You know, just fundamental human psychology. Right. Uh, it's just, I don't know, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing I watched uh, going along those lines is 1983 Psycho 2. Have you ever seen this? No. 100% go and watch this. Huh. 
I actually highly recommend this. It is not uh, Psycho necessarily, but it is Norman Bates. And he is uh, years later being released from prison Mm. uh, or mental facility or whatever he's in. I forget. Uh, But it's basically he has been cured. Uh, He's, you know, on medication and and he's, you know, all these different things. And he's trying to just kind of reinsert himself into society. Mm -hmm. And he's genuinely a nice guy and he is not having fits of madness or anything like that. Uh, But then things start to kind of creep back in. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is the way they play it, because he's aware of what he did originally, he is trying to figure out if he's doing it. Oh, okay. And the the central mystery of the film is, has he regressed? Is he, you know, taking on the role of mother again? Or is somebody who's familiar with his life and his story... Uh, kind of attaching themselves to oh, him okay. in a copycat fashion and messing with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it I, I could not believe how much I enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's not, I'm not saying it's, you know, the next best and it's amazing and it's this huge find. It just, I was expecting a very schlocky sequel. When did um, this come out? 1983. Oh, okay. And and it was it was so... Well thought out. Mm. I think I think that was the thing I appreciated the most. It didn't just rehash, which is what so many sequels that miss the mark, I think, do. Yeah. It it was not interested in rehashing Psycho One. It was interested in here's this character. How would somebody who was previously unaware mm-hmm. of what he was doing react now that he is aware? Mm-hmm. And um it's it's not a plot line you get very often of someone who knows they have graduated beyond crazy and now strange things start to happen again. I'm not saying it's the only movie that's ever done that, but it was just, it, it was surprisingly good. Hmm. Um, and what's his name who plays Norman Bates uh, is back and uh, just a, a really good actor. So hmm. uh, it actually made me kind of want to watch Psycho 3 and 4. I yeah. don't think they have as much of a, a good uh, word of mouth about them. Uh-huh. Uh, Psycho 2, after I watched it and was surprised, I, I went and just did some reading on it. And, oh, yeah, lots of people like Psycho 2. Hmm. Um, so that made me feel a little better because I was worried about recommending it to you because sometimes I get excited about things and then you <laughs> just you bring me back down to earth. You strip away the joy and inject plenty of, of just cynicism and woe into the situation and make me rethink the things that make me happy. You mean I'm doing my job correctly? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, I fly a little too close to the sun. Sometimes. When I get excited. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm always just a part of this whole um, episode, though, too, is like I'm always just weary of sequels yep. in general. So like... That's why I only got around to Exorcist 2. And it's yeah. just like, a, if I have one, like, uh, you know, there's these classic films and you just want to kind of hold them <laughs> to your yep. heart dearly and not have them ruined by something that's just lesser. And, um, yep. but I, I, I'm getting better at like just realizing like it's not going to make it worse. Yeah. yeah. It's, I can still enjoy and love that thing. And, just realize that, yeah, they couldn't do it again. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, well, for horror sequels today, we're going to talk about uh, uh, the granddaddy of, of many of them, Evil Dead 2, which people absolutely love. And we're also going to talk about the 2013 remake of Evil Dead, um, which uh, I will just go ahead and tell you right up front. Hot take. When Clint and I were talking about talking about Evil Dead 2, I revealed a little secret that I actually kind of 
like the 2013 remake or slash sequel above all the other Evil Dead movies. And Clint literally uh, just curse words. And I, I, almost I think just the word came heretic up. was used. I almost just came over here. Yeah. And, and like just to slap. Me. Yeah. Just to, just slap, to slap you me. and then go home. Uh, so we agreed we were both going to watch both of them. We're going to talk about those and we'll see if I was right or if this is another uh, Thor love and thunder. So you want to compare it to Evil Dead 2? Yeah. But w- why not Evil Dead? We can't compare it to that, too. Because it's it's Evil Dead. It's... We'll, we'll just see where the, <laughs> the conversation goes. Uh, we're also going to talk about Hellbound, which is Hellraiser 2. We're going to talk about The Exorcist 3. And then uh, our Cinetron pick, which I will make a very thin argument as to why it's a horror sequel, but it's really not. It's bodies, bodies, bodies. Uh, I suspect that conversation will be very short. Because... Are you saying that there is just a bodies, bodies out there? I'm saying... If that actually would be funny. <laughs> the Bodies, Bodies, Bodies prequel is Bodies, Bodies. Just two times. I hope they make another one. And it's, yeah, Bodies, 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 right. Bodies. Well, let's start with Evil Dead. Uh, Evil Dead, man, what do you have to say about that? Because this is something that if you appreciate horror in any way, you have seen at least Evil Dead 2. I know some people have not seen the original or the remakes or the series or things like that. But Evil Dead 2 is just hailed as... Uh, I, I think you will hear Clint use the word perfect mm-hmm. uh, at some point. Um, and it just tells the story of Ash Williams, played delightfully by Bruce Campbell, uh, once again battling horrifying demons at a secluded cabin in the woods. After discovering an audio tape left by a college professor that contains voices reading from the Book of the Dead, Ash's girlfriend, Linda, becomes possessed by evil spirits that are awakened by the voices on the tape. Uh, the 2013 uh remake slash sequel basically follows the same plot line. I think all the Evil Dead films basically mm-hmm. follow the here's this random recording and hell is unleashed yeah. on a group of uh young adults. And uh so let's let's start with Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Let's get all the praise. I'm sure we can both keep on it out <laughs> of the way. Clint, uh you revisited Evil Dead 2. What was your 2023 viewing of this spectacular film like? Um, for me, honestly, I, it is, I think a perfect film, like to me and my sensibilities. Um, it's so fun. Um, Bruce Campbell is amazing in it. Um, and that will come back around to my opinion on the remakes. And you will not find me arguing with that because even when we get to good or bad remakes of Evil Dead, uh, the thing that really splits it apart, even this time when I went back and watched it, I'm just like, man, this would be so much better with Bruce Campbell or somebody at that yeah. at, the, at that level and, and that performance. It's operating on so many levels that it's it's horrifying. It's nonstop. Like, there are so many gags in this film. Yeah. To, like... To my pure delight, like it never stops and is always upping itself. But at the same time, you're getting a sense of this character and what he's capable of and what he's not capable of and who he is just like as a person because Bruce Campbell is so good at emoting that too. Um, But it also like the story is really interesting but it's threading this needle of like it's so funny and fun and campy, but also scary. And I I feel like there's not many things that have pulled it off to that degree. Mm-hmm. And the thing, like like I said, it's just nonstop. Yeah. And I love that. It, 
um, that is just always continuously going. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think any film has done it, it to that degree um, where it just isn't, it, it's like pure creativity. That's what I see this film as. And just, practical creativity. Yeah. It's, 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 it's pre-CG. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're, they're doing a lot of just on-the-ground work that's for what, this. That's what I mean by pure creativity, to just figure out how to do a gag mm -hmm. practically in this space, um, work with what they have, but also can, like, invent things that the horror hasn't seen before. Um, and also, like, building off the, the Evil Dead one um because this is essentially the exact same story for the first half yeah i mean it's uh, i i think um sam raimi came out this year and he said the or maybe it was bruce campbell the the way that that you should watch it is that the first half of evil dead 2 is basically a remake of one yeah. but then the second half of evil dead 2 is the rest of the story it it kind of goes on from there yeah yeah um and that's that's an interesting way because i just always thought of it as kind of this weird pseudo sequel slash remake um but it's it's not quite that but it's it's also almost like the one evil dead one being reversed in its way yeah. because yeah. then you get the the second half of the film with the group where the where the the daughter and uh, shows up and they're yeah. trying to find their parents and you almost get like the group back together yeah. and then it starts over again, yeah. um, which is really cool and interesting. And I will say, I, I something I didn't mention or tell you is for this conversation, I did my real due diligence Ooh. because uh, I was lucky enough that um, up in Cumberland, more of my friends live. Um, well, it's really to place us, but uh, Western Maryland. And um they had a performance of Evil Dead the Musical. Okay. So awesome. last week when we went up there and saw yeah. that, and it was a total blast. Yeah. And that yeah. um is yeah, Evil Dead One and Two and Army of Darkness all rolled into yeah. one thing. And if you have a chance to see it, it's so much fun. It's very madcap. I've only oh. watched it on YouTube or somewhere, but uh, okay. Um it's so much fun, but and it's so good around this time uh, in you know, around Halloween. It yeah. really gives you all the <laughs> the Halloween feels. Um, but yeah, just like seeing it um, again after all these years. Like I, I watch it probably every year, but just realizing how through the test of time, it's just held up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This is a, a great film for me. Yeah. Uh, for for me, I, I think the reason that I, I briefly, I will be changing my opinion midstream here uh, from what we talked about. But, uh, you know, briefly, I think what really stuck in my mind was the, the comedy aspects of Evil Dead 2 mm -hmm. in my brain getting a little too silly. And one of the things I love about the 2013 remake is there's just no silliness. It's just... Straight gore, straight horror, straight body horror uh, at times. And um, I, I, I just remember having a, a really good reaction to that. When I went back and revisited Evil Dead 2, which I realize now I do not do often enough, the silliness is in a very different context than what I think my brain had registered it as before. The silliness is Ash going insane. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's woven into the plot much more than just being a kind of schlocky 80s horror comedy. It's not a horror comedy. 
uh, I'd, I'd actually argue against it being a horror comedy. It's it's straight horror. It just has these elements that are fun and are funny, but it's because you're watching somebody unravel in a very inventive and creative way. And so there's there's a delight to the horror. Whereas when you go and watch the 2013 remake, uh, it can get uh, heavy is the wrong word because that sounds too positive. It can just get very samey. It it starts to drag a bit because it's just so punishing that there's there's no joy to it. Um, even even from just behind the camera, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's not that sense of uh, just delirium uh, that that you want to keep watching. It's just it's just you know these people are going to die, and it's going to continue ramping up the blood and gore. And uh, Evil Dead Two is is another creature. Evil Dead Two is something that. It's it's simultaneously delighting in its genre, but it's also delighting in filmmaking mm-hmm. because every filmmaking trick is is rolled out to pull off. Uh, and and that's what I mean by well. cre- creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can see them inventing as yep. they're doing it, and like I'm sure it was a grueling experience to some degree, but like you can see like joy yeah. being put into it. And I love the ambition of that. You can really feel that. It, and I'm sure there were things they realized they couldn't do once they tried, but it doesn't feel that way. It feels like they just, you know, put the camera aside and figured it out. Mm-hmm. And there was there was no idea that they just let go. Um, whereas, you know, when you get to 2013, this is post-CG. This is something that does not require as much, um, you know, head scratching and creativity to figure out how to get through a problem. Because if you want to make it happen, you can make it happen. It's just about how good it looks, but you can do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just, it's very interesting. They almost feel like uh, different universes because yeah. of that, just just from a filmmaking perspective. So um, that, that was my take on both. Evil Dead 2, I, I kind of agree with you. Uh, I I hesitate to throw the word perfect, but man, it is just such a... I, I tried thinking afterwards, what would I remove? What would I change? What would I nothing? No. Um and, and I even think it would be a lesser film if you somehow transported it to 2013 with young Bruce Campbell and made it shot for shot. I, I don't think I don't think it would have that same energy and magic that it does when it's fully practical and fully just group of people in the woods, uh, low budget, but making something that feels so much more special than the budget would suggest. Well, that's a thing that I'm going to I'm going to give my opinion on the 13 2013 mm-hmm. one and and the one we talked about the recent Evil Dead Rise. Rise. Yeah. Um and both of those come down to there's not a compelling lead to me. Yeah. That yeah. Bruce Campbell like as much as we're talking about how inventive it is and stuff there is a lot riding on Bruce Campbell's shoulders in this, and he is carrying this film to a degree where, like, you can see his comedic chops, where yeah. there's a lot of, like, um, physical gags going on that are reliant on his ability to, ability to do them. Yeah. And there is none of that required in these films. Yeah. The That's my biggest complaint about the 2013 one. Yeah. The whole first half of this boring the movie is so boring. 
There is no character that is compelling um, or interesting. It's so one note because they're, they're, you're setting something at this baseline of like, okay, this girl is like re- trying to be a recovering heroin addict and they're trying to do uh, intervention on her and detox. And you're setting the, the thing at that level. Yeah. That it's just like it's heightened to this degree that like it has no place to go after yeah. that. Well, and I think she's a strong enough actress and she has the right face for it and performance. It's just the the 2013 movie does not make her the star. It makes everybody equal. Yeah. And then by the end, she kind of lifts up out of it because she's the only survivor. Whereas you can feel the whole time from the first shot of Evil Dead 2 this is the guy you're rooting for. This is, he's more expressive. He's even inventive and creative in his performance. This is the guy that you're here for. Yeah. And you don't feel that in the in the remake. And and that's, I, I think it's much more of a structural thing than necessarily a casting. But even then, uh, Bruce Campbell is given far more room to work than anything. I mean, she could be the greatest actress ever, but she basically only has to hit three notes mm-hmm. possessed unpossessed uh you know coming out of her shell and and taking down the demon kind well, of thing i and i'm also like it is a little unfair to compare it to two i think because it's actually a remake of the first one yeah because it's the entire structure of that first yeah. film and yeah. in the first one is the exact same plot of bruce campbell coming into his own and becoming yeah. the hero because He's not the main focus of that film when it starts. It's yeah. the group, and he comes out of it as the the one who survives. Or, yeah. I mean, not exactly by the end. You're not quite sure. But um, he's the one who's, um, you, you, who draws all the focus. And, and I feel like even in this one, in the 13, it is only because of a numbers thing to me that she's – it's just that she's left. Yeah. She's not compelling, like, or given the chance to be compelling. Yeah. And be- her, her character is not compelling. No, no. She's just an addict, and they want her to not be an addict. Yeah. That's her entire character trait. Yeah, and that's, like, my whole thing with it is, like, because you start at such a dark baseline yeah. for this film, that it has nowhere to grow. It just continuously gets darker and more foreboding yeah. and, like, oppressive. Um, and then it's just, re- like, the gore stuff is... Like, I I can see they were having, like, it's kind of creative, but just in a gore way. Like, you're just doing body gore. Yeah. And that's something I don't really, like, respond to that well when you're just trying to, to mutilate bodies in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's not pure, like, horror to me. It's just gross. Yeah. Um, I would rather be horrified by, like, this demon entering your body and you're doing things out of... um that you're not able to control anymore mm-hmm. and you're not you anymore. And when it, when it plays with that thing, we're like in, in, in the same thing that it does in, in evil dead two and one where, you know, a loved one is you taken over by the steam and, yeah. and then it come, they return to their normal selves and you're, you're um, torn between what you're supposed to do now yeah. because you think they're back. And that stuff's more interesting than just, you know, somebody cutting their tongue in half. Well, and I think, I mean, even where you started, what you're hitting on is a problem with a lot of horror movies. I think people have learned the wrong lesson from Stephen King and have learned the wrong lesson from some of these classic horror movies where the thought is, okay, we need to spend a lot of time with these characters. 
mm-hmm. before the horror sets in. That's the complete wrong lesson. You don't need to spend more time with characters. You need to spend time as a screenwriter making characters that I care about. Yeah, and learning how to weave it into the story you're trying to tell where you're learning things about their character through action and things. Because in Evil Dead 2 and 1, there aren't these long scenes of of dialogue where you're getting the backstories of characters. You're getting little bits and realizing like, oh, this is how Ash interacts with his sister and their relationship just by him showing compassion to take her to town and things like that. It's It doesn't have to be we spend a half – like 45 minutes of the film, yeah. like learning about the drug abuse of this character. It doesn't have to be complicated and no. long. Uh, mm-hmm. You look at the original Exorcist. It's a mom who is scared because her daughter yeah. is going through something. Yeah. Regar- even if you didn't have a supernatural angle there, mm-hmm. you have the universal. Here is a mom who cares about her daughter. Yeah. Here's a mom who's a career mom who's suddenly having to pull away from career because something's up. Right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. uh, same thing. It's you're not spending time with those characters at the beginning because of, you know, well, here's how the, the structure goes. It's you need to understand who these people are and that they're really good friends because we're going to get to some pretty crazy stuff here in a minute. And you're going to feel the tension of them being separated. Yeah. Um, that's that's what the Friday the 13th sequels have lost, that most of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels have lost. It's that idea of these people have connection and common roots. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, which is, you know, kind of widely known as, as the only really good sequel, mm-hmm. the reason it works is because, you yeah, you have this mental institution, but that's just the setting. What matters is you have these patients who have a pre-existing relationship with mm. each other. And when you meet them, you're learning the dynamics of their relationship, not just you know, on a surface level seeing that they have a relationship. Right. The 2013 Evil Dead, cool, this is a brother and sister, and he cares enough about her to get her clean, but that's all I get. I don't get any sense that this is a loving, protective brother. Right. Of his sister. I don't have those moments. Yeah. Because everything is about getting to the cabin so quickly. You know, I I don't get to see here's a brother that's really torn up over his sister and, uh, you know, getting her to a a rehab facility has been tried and has not worked. And he is desperate. Everyone in it feels put out by her to me. Like, because they're they're kind of there just – because there's no other option yeah. and they yeah. like he doesn't seem like he wants to be there yeah. the friend who's a nurse um is kind of feels put out the girl that is um his bro- the brother's um girlfriend like she she has no connection because they don't she is doesn't even know her and you can feel that <laughs> when somebody dies or yeah. something happens because it's almost like they don't care whereas Bruce Campbell yeah. is playing it as if he's just lost a dear friend. Yeah. as I mean, that's what drives him mad mm-hmm. in Evil Dead 2 is it's not just the crazy supernatural stuff that's happening. He's grieving and and in this crazy situation, and he's losing people he cares about, and he can't stop it. Yeah, you feel more connection between him and this group of people who yep. show up that he had never met yep. before because you realize he, like, you know, you he can feel see, something for he, him. He feels something that, like, oh, this is her, the family's cabin, yep. and they lost their uh, father and mother, yeah. and he just lost his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and it's played so well, and yeah. like, even without being like really sad. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and let's let's actually move to Exorcist 3 because right. I'm curious if this conversation continues into that because Exorcist 3, uh, I, I think it's pretty easy to say is a better sequel than Exorcist 2. Yeah. Uh, what I'm really curious about is your take between it and Exorcist 1 because, again, Exorcist 1 is that relationship. It is mm-hmm. the, you know, we have a mom and daughter. Exorcist 3 is different. Uh, Exorcist 3 is basically from uh, 1990, mm-hmm. and it's about uh, Police Lieutenant Kenderman, played by George C. Scott, which yeah. is always a plus. Uh, he notices similarities between uh, his current murder investigation and the methods used by the Gemini killer, Brad Dourif, uh, who was executed 15 years before. And the Gemini killer is kind of loosely, not so loosely based on the uh, – uh, Zodiac Killer. Mm, yeah. Uh, he soon discovers a hospitalized mental patient, played by Jason Miller, claiming to be the dead serial killer, but who looks uncannily like a priest Kenderman knew who died during an exorcism. As more bodies are found, Kenderman looks for connections between the two supposedly dead men. Clint, what did you think of Exorcist Three? Uh, well, I, I, this was one that you turned me on to a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I watched it once, and I remember thinking it was fine, mm-hmm. um, and just never really came back around to it, um, just because, you know, if I was going to watch an Exorcist film, I was just going to watch one again. Yeah. Well, and that was the heyday where I, I very specifically remember uh, I could like a film. I liked Exorcist 3 yeah. because of that one shot of the sheet-covered person with the giant uh, hedge trimmers or whatever going across <laughs> the hallway. That uh, so yeah, spooked yeah, yeah. and scared me yeah. that in my brain, yeah. Exorcist 3 is an excellent horror film. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's just yeah. I, I was young. That is a creepy scene. It, uh, it's, it's still, still very effective, but, you know, it's just two seconds in a, a two-hour flick. Right. Um, so it was fun watching it again. and. After, especially after seeing more horror, like because that was still early in like getting into horror and everything. Yeah. And um, I will say I I really enjoyed this film, mm-hmm. um, especially George C. Scott is fantastic. <sighs> yep. This movie is really funny. Yep. It's so quippy. Like everyone just has a one liner to come back. Like and they're just and you get a real sense of like him and his uh, friendship with Father Dyer. Yes. Because they have you, they're having this like it feels like a relationship I have with my friends where you just have a shorthand for a conversation. Yeah. And it's just it's this easy banter. Yeah. 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 And you're and you can say something kind of awful and you know they'll still come back yep. the next day for lunch. Yeah. Uh, because it's just you know that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing that was really early on in the film drawing me in and I was really enjoying. So um, when it was actually getting into the mystery of like the killer and and how uh, him re- realize, thinking it's this priest that he looks like a priest that he knew and and uh, and patient X is this other you know kind of inhabited by this other the killer that was put to the death master or, yeah, or yeah, the yeah. idea of this demonic you know, you're the force. Gemini killer yeah um, that was really interesting to once you really get a sense of, you know, George C. Scott's character yeah. as this detective. And um, the I I came away really enjoying it. I, yeah. I think the thing is, I, I don't know if I think it's a good exorcist film. So what's really interesting, because I did a lot of reading on this movie. Yeah. What's really interesting is the director really fought. He said, do not call this Exorcist 3. This is not an Exorcist movie. It will hurt it, especially after Exorcist 2 tanked at the the box office and everybody hated it. 
And they were like, no, 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 the studio. We got to we gotta play this. Uh, you know, this is how we're going to get our audience. And then three weeks later, after it had been released and it's dropping off, they come back to him and they're like, well, you know what the problem was? <laughs> I bet he was furious. It's called Exorcist 3. Yeah, he still talks about it. Uh, I don't know if he's alive, actually. but uh, he, he, William Peter Blatley, who yeah, is the author yeah. of The Exorcist. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he's yeah. not alive anymore. But yeah. he talked about it clear through because he was just so infuriated. He's like, I told you people this. And they even forced him to cram in that exorcist or exorcism at the very end of the film. Uh, it was it was not meant to have that. Would you mind just moving your headphone cord off the? Oh, mic? No, it's, sure. Yeah, sorry, thanks. It was kept hitting, and I kept. Hearing. No, you're fine. Um, I was the whole time just thinking like it doesn't have that atmosphere. Yeah, but I, I'm still enjoying the film at, yeah. on its own terms, yeah. and uh, as almost like this murder mystery detective story, um, which has loose connections to things from the sto- the, the Exorcist. Um, and I think almost in a way, that's a better way yes. to go about a sequel. Yes. Um, because you're not trying to hit these important like things that pe- you think people really enjoyed from mm-hmm. the first one. And it's just a rehashing of something you've um you you saw that like you it's going to bring people in like yeah. that's a, like it's like a comedies do that where you're you know you're telling similar jokes or like hitting those one liners again that it's just like that wasn't what we loved about it it yeah. was just like the characters uh themselves and in the story like you don't have to just hit these points as a crowd pleasing measure yeah. and i and i love that this was playing on its own terms in like telling a new story that's just in the same neighborhood as the exorcist. And there's also this killer who might be inhabited by this other killer. Um, That was more, that was really, really interesting to me. I, and, and that's the same for me. I really enjoy exorcist three, but I refuse to think of it as an exorcist sequel. I think it's much stronger if you don't. Uh, It's just in that, you know, loosely in that universe of reality where this happened, you know, in another town or this happened in the same world or the same, uh, internal logic world, whereas it's it's pretty much its own story, and yeah. it can just exist its own story with its own tone and and its own approach to horror, um, because it it does have much more of a slasher feel to it, right? Than something like Exorcist One. It almost reminded me of like a supernatural, like the Zodiac Killer yes. kind of thing, yeah. like um, like yeah. Fincher would do it. Um, and that was like going back to two for a second is. That one almost felt like it was trying to hit the sequel notes where people would be feeling the familiar things, but also like the director didn't care about making a sequel. So like it was trying to have it both ways and... So and it didn't work on either level. Yeah, the the vague thing I and you already said it, but the vague thing I remember when I watched Exorcist two forever ago, yeah. was just did this person even like the first film? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even feel like they, you know. Whereas in three, you can feel the 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 tendons that connect it. You can feel the connections and the the influence, but it's not beholden to those things, right? Uh, and and I really like that. It can be its own. Thing. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't know what it is. Um, there's something about sequels, and it's not just horror sequels, but there's something where studios and some filmmakers think what people want is more of the same 
and let's just sensationalize it a little more each time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not to always bring up Fast and Furious, but that's what Fast <laughs> and Furious is. It is something where it's just like family and cars and action. That's yeah. what the people love. Let's keep giving them that same thing, but we have to do it more. Right. To the point where at 10, you've got this insane... Giant it, ball thing going through giant the Giant <laughs> ball of, yeah. And so, you know, it's it just, it gets silly. And horror sequels are the same way. It's like somebody watched Nightmare on Elm Street and thought to themselves, oh, the thing people love is Freddy's quips and his inventive kills. Yeah. That is not what people love about the first film or yeah. even the people that like the third film like I do. It's not what we enjoy about that. What mm -hmm. we enjoy is characters who are, like, how do you escape sleep? How do you escape your dreams? Right. How do you battle something if something invades your sleep and your dreams? That's where the meat of it is. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with Exorcist 3. Exorcist 3 is, is dealing with this idea that the first one started of what do you do if, if there is something beyond reality that's invading reality and having its way? Mm -hmm. What do you do about that? And what do you do if you're a skeptic? What if you do if you're a religious person? How do you see those things differently? Far, far more interesting than, oh, look, we have another person that's possessed, and we've got to come up with a ritual to get the demon out. Right, um, right. And, and I think, you know, going back to Evil Dead 2, that's what works. It does the beats of the first film, and then it has its its whole other thing, because it it's giving you what you want and what you expect, but it has so much more to offer because there are bigger ideas out there than just rehashing. Yeah, and then especially like once you get to Army of Darkness, which is yep. another sequel, and they're just like— You would never even, other yeah. than Bruce Campbell yeah. and the character, you know, it's it's not like there's yeah. some giant connective thread between the two. Right, it has the elements that are enjoyable yeah. from two, but in a whole new situation. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about like hitting these marks that people— um, you think people are going to yeah. want from it. Yeah. Um, the thing about like, and I think thing about like sequels too, that when it works is interesting. Like I was thinking about when you were just talking um, and the director's name is not coming to me, but the, the director who did Old Boy and Lady oh, Vengeance. Uh, Park. Park. Chow. Chow Wu? No? No. My, mm. No. You keep talking. I'm Googling. <laughs> I I'm think I'm connecting it with a different uh, director's name, but um, how he did his Vengeance trilogy. Yes, Park Chan-wook. Wook. Wook. I, I, was, I only was one you letter were, off. You were one letter off. See, I, I wasn't being awful. I know. It's just so exciting when I get to be right and you're wrong because I'm usually wrong. But go on. But you made it look like I was being a horrible racist right there. You were. <laughs> no, you were. I was, I was one letter off. No, you were, you were babbling Asian obscenities. I just <sighs> disgusting. I don't do that on air. Anyway. Um, but <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. Um, that was a joke. Um, and that's not necessarily, he's trying to do sequels, but like he does, does this trilogy where he's, you know, he's playing with vengeance in three different modes uh, in three yeah. different ways. They're a thematic trilogy. Thematic, thematically. And I think that's more interesting than yeah. like in a, um, direct sequel where you're, yeah. you're trying to, you know, kind of just repackage the first story mm -hmm. and but you're just playing with themes and sensibilities i think that's a better way to go well let's go to hellraiser 2 hellbound because man that is people are going to think we really stack this and plan this out but that's exactly <laughs> what i want to talk about with hellraiser 2 you kind of uh just very openly 
did not enjoy the original Hellraiser movie. That's never been one of your kind of horror classics. No. And you hadn't seen Hellraiser 2. And I've I've long tried to get you to watch it. So I'm a, I'm a little nervous. But uh, Hellraiser 2 continues. It's, it's a direct continuation of the story. Yeah. Uh, but confined to a mental hospital, young Christy Cotton, uh, played by Ashley Lawrence from the first film, mm-hmm. insists her supposedly dead father is stuck in hell, controlled by demons after being betrayed by his evil occult-obsessed wife, Julia. Few believe Christy, except the thrill-seeking Dr. Channard, who is intrigued and the young woman's uh, by the young woman's lord stories. So when Christy and fellow patient Tiffany uh, head to hell for a rescue, that's a weird line, but uh, <laughs> Channard or Channard and Julia are close behind. Uh, Clint, I have uh, my very strong thoughts about Hellraiser Two. What did you think about Hellbound Hellraiser Two? Um, well, I mean. Initially, when I was watching it, I was not like very, um, I don't know, I I wasn't hopeful Mm -hmm. that it was going to do anything different from what I didn't enjoy about the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially like, you know, I, I just carrying on with the story of this daughter who I wasn't super compelled by in the Mm -hmm. first one. Uh, but I will say, like, once it gets going, I was really into this one. Oh, yes. And I almost wish, what I would wish for is somehow you could take a large section of the first film out mm-hmm. and, like, smash it into this one. Yeah, yeah. And make some super... Uh, hell, super cut. Super yeah. cut Hellraiser film. Yeah. Because, like, once it gets into the hell stuff in this one, it is so fun and exactly what I wanted yes. from the uh, first one because I mean the first one gets so samey and it's just stuck in this house and like people people uh, men being brought to you know bring back this this man who you know is you know a skeletal form and take their essence and come back to life Um, because once it gets the first one gets to like the second half of its Mm -hmm. film like I am enjoying it and like and there's a lot of I enjoy about the first one, like the practical yeah. nature of it. All of the the body gore horror uh, in it is actually really fun, and I enjoy that stuff. But the story is just not very compelling to me. It's very plain, Jane. It's very plain. Surprisingly. And it just feels yeah. stuck in this house. And uh, and once and that's the thing about this one. It goes to different areas yeah. and expands on it in the right ways oh. um, that I think – like we're talking about in a way that like sequels should it's showing you new areas of the world that there it's set up in the first one in an interesting way and is giving the characters new things to do and you learn new things about the characters what they're capable of and how like the um the stepmother character how evil and awful she was like that like because if you smashed the first one up against this one and had that arc continue throughout Mm -hmm. man like that would be such a great character development and but yeah i actually really enjoyed it this is one i've tried to figure out for years i am weirdly compelled by this movie when i'm watching it which i am not big on like demons and hell and all that stuff i'm not i was not the goth kid i was not uh, you know, this, I was raised, this is evil. And it, it, I, I recognize like, this is a portrait of some very evil things, but I'm weirdly, every time I watch it, I'm compelled by it. 
And this is the first time it finally clicked what it is. And it's because instead of just torture and gore and hell in the Judeo-Christian kind of sense, it really, the back half of this movie goes so Lovecraftian cosmic horror. Yeah. In in a different way, but it like its vision of hell, not to spoil it if you it's haven't not, seen it. And like it's, maybe it's, not necessarily even a true vision of hell no. or just this other dimension that we yep. are not aware of. Uh, but it's it's geometry and it's elaborate. It's like MC and it's Escher. cold and it's oh I just I, I find all of that so interesting. And then even the doctor who is so driven, very Ahab like. Yeah. And he finally gets his white whale and he's completely um and turned into what he is on the inside, right? And he loves it, but yeah. nothing about this looks good. And it's it's a it's a really compelling arc for a villain because in the original Hellraiser, you just get these people who are obsessed with this other dimension of torture and horror and and pain. But here, you actually see how that comes about. Mm-hmm. You actually see how somebody's obsession could get them to a place where. Uh, you know, they they could become consumed with this, right? And and all of those different elements are flying together, and you know, here these people are trying to to survive this very strange hellscape, and it's just I, I I really enjoy this sequel, um, and it again I I hundred percent agree with you. I think the reason I like the original Hellraiser so much is because I watched both of them. Okay, I came to the well, first I, Hellraiser that might late. help me. Yeah, I came to the first Hellraiser late, and so I watched both of them uh, with John one night, and uh, so they've always been one story in my brain. Yeah, And I think Hellraiser 2 makes Hellraiser a much more complete and better film. It's not that when I watch Hellraiser, you're you're 100% right, it does get repetitive. Yeah. The second one I don't think does. Um, But I'm I'm full on board with you. If you could take these – Two two-hour films and make a three-hour cut out some stuff, but make a three-hour supercut. Oh yeah, man, this thing would be something else because you would have Hellraiser one first act, first half of Hellraiser two second act, second half of Hellraiser two third act, and it yeah. would just be this really just dark descent into what these things are and where they come from. Yeah, uh, and it would become so much more than just the puzzle box, mm-hmm. uh, which is another thing I really like about. Too. I like the puzzle box as this gateway yes. into this and the like key, and uh, the, the key uh, yeah. and like and that's the thing that this one completes that um that for me that it's yeah. just the element that gets you to the place it's not the thing yeah and the i like that the like because the first one's so much that it's like it brings about this the the cenobites to come into your reality our reality yeah. and i love in this like it's so much bigger because you're going into their reality and seeing what they're a small piece of. Um, you even get to see an image of their God. Yeah. Uh, which, man, it's still, I I love, it. it's, again, it's one of those ballsy maneuvers where it's just, this is functioning cosmic horror on a level where it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like their god is just this giant geo, uh, geometric shape. Right. But it's also horrifying and everybody's horrified of it and it can change, but it's just this it's not something we would think of as oh, there's a god. Mm-hmm. It it's a very alien kind of thing. Right. This hell yeah. is very alien. The creatures 
that come through this hell are very alien. Kind of like the it, it reminds me a lot of the the end of um uh in the mouth of madness. Right. With yeah. Sam Neill. It has that very like you are entering somewhere that is not completely human. Foreign. And completely like, foreign. And that's what I loved about the um the depiction of hell in yeah. this. It's like I said this while you were talking about like the this like MC Escher world yep. where you don't know where things begin and end. Yeah. And it's like a, um, a cubist hell where you're yeah. just not like, you can't get a sense of it. And I love the emptiness of it, yeah. that it's not just like filled to the brim with souls screaming out. It's just yeah. like a labyrinth that you will get lost in and spend yeah. your eternity trying to find your way through. And it feels like the way it stretches off, I love the imagery of it. Yeah. It feels like an infinite, you could walk forever yep. and never encounter another being, even if there were millions and billions of people in here, yeah. because it's just so vast and empty, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, in and of itself is, in my brain, terrifying. Mm -hmm. This is a far scarier version of hell to me than your fire, brimstone, demons oh, torturing yeah. people kind yeah. of thing. Uh, this is isolationist hell. This is a cold hell. This is a hell that's run by some weird Leviathan mm -hmm. thing that's very abstract yep. and has no face. There's not even a a uh, interface that that you can uh, you know somehow come to terms with what's in front of you. And just all of that is so scary to me. A strange line to connect, but like. Um, I, we were watching the, um, Fiona and Cake, mm, um, yeah. the s series that's follow up to Adventure Time. And yeah. it's great in the really expanded into this yeah. more adult thing, realizing like, oh, our audience has grown up and we yeah. can do more things. But when they like, strangely, like that, the crew that makes that show must just have their fingers and like their, um, visual sensibility tied to so many different, like, things that we are familiar with because in that there there is this godhead interdimensional being that like kind of destroys the the candy world yeah. and it's a like geometric like um shaped like thing that has this blank stare of a face and it's just like fun yeah. seeing like like I'm not saying it's a direct tie to this but it's just like that idea that is also being put into current, um, you know, uh, entertainment and things yeah. like, because that's such a strong idea of like a very foreign, um, otherworldly thing that is so outside of our realm that yeah. like, it's just a shape. And, and there's something very literally ancient about it. I yeah, mean, even yeah. I used to be fascinated, even growing up in in the church world, I was fascinated with when you would actually go into places where people were having visions and the description of angels were just bizarre world, mm. wheels within wheels and eyes everywhere and fiery wings and yeah. things where, you know, the author is trying to describe something poetically and it's just not of earth. Mm -hmm. And I I love that stuff. But you go back and you look at mythologies, um, and it's it's not typically the, oh, here's Zeus, and he just looks like a big guy with lightning bolts. Mm -hmm. It's usually super weird, super abstract, uh, and I just I, – I love that stuff. It's very creepy. It's very 
you know, it it that's what creeps under my skin, yeah, and makes me think like if I encountered another dimensional being or some sort of alien creature, it Lovecraft style would probably split my sanity open because mm-hmm. how do you even process what you're looking at? How do you understand? And if you don't understand something, how do you know? whether to be afraid of it or not. How do you know if it's friendly? How do you know if it's, uh, you know, harmful? How do you, it just, all the things we use to survive would break down. And that's, it, it again, it's just, that's that's my horror sweet spot. That's terrifying. Well, even that thought of like on, even if you were able to comprehend what you're saying and you believe that it's 100% your, a thing you're experienced for real, like how would you then take that back to your community and yeah. describe it in a way where it doesn't ruin your life? Like all those stories of people who believe they saw aliens yeah. and then they are completely ostracized because- yeah. Um, no, everyone just thinks you're crazy. Yeah. And then you're just like, life is ruined. You can't get yeah. jobs. And it's like, and when it first happens to you, like if you experience something like that, yeah, yeah. how could you not just, you know, just vomit at the mouth, all this information, right? Because you're trying to process <laughs> yeah. it. And you just need other people to help you process. Yeah. 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 So damage done. Mm-hmm. You are now the, the town crazy and it's too late. Even once you settle down, it's like, well, that's the guy that saw the moth, man. Weirdo. <laughs> Uh, all right, you know, and that's it's done. Mm-hmm. But after an encounter like that, how would you not just? Oh my goodness! Yep, he's the one who saw the pyramid floating in the sky and yeah, thinks it's a yeah. godhead. Yeah, yeah, you know, okay. <laughs> uh, I just, oh, uh, but yeah, Hellraiser two. I, I, I was really happy with this viewing because for whatever reason, after this year, it just finally clicked into place because. There have been times past, I love this sequel so much, and, yeah. and I know I love it more than it's actually—I love it more—no. It is not as amazing a, a film as it is in my brain. I can recognize that. I think it's really good, but I know it's still a a, a flawed, you know, 80s film at times. Um, but I just—I love it, and I it really used to, to bother me because I'm like, why do I love this movie so much? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all, you know, just— death and hell and and weird evil triumphing and like why is this so compelling to me well i mean it is being depicted in a way that is feels new yeah like it's not the typical hell visuals that we are used to or anything so like that like level of creativity is interesting that somebody was willing like up for taking it in a direction that nobody has yeah. thought about maybe or hasn't been put on a display in in such a way, like a big screen yeah. format. Well, that's one of the things I love about The Dark Tower. And I hope yeah. once Mike Flanagan gets to it, I hope he preserves those elements. There's this thing in The Dark Tower universe called Toadash Space, mm. which is just things beyond or in between realities mm. where it's darkness, but there are things in there that will drive you mad. You do not want to see these things. And I love that concept. I was really disappointed because that's a a very much a central concept in it Mm, or should have been Mm -hmm. in it chapter two, but it was something that just sort of got left on the cutting room floor or edited out. And I just, I really want a movie or a series to delve into that because, and it doesn't even have to be long. It's just the hint that it's there. Yeah. It's just seeing somebody who knows what it is being scared of it. Right. And not wanting to or warning people about it. That can do um, everything. There's uh, when you read the Pet Cemetery novel, 
when they walk from the actual cemetery to the the real place that you bury people. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, it talks a lot about, and I don't know how they would have done it in the movie or anything, but it talks a lot about he feels like he's walking into a different realm mm. and there are creatures and there's this weird fog and the the plant life is even otherworldly. Yeah. And then they come out of it again. So it's almost like they go through this, this uh, portal or, or mm -hmm. different section. Uh, and it's really, really scary mm. in the book because yeah. it's just like, oh man, anything could come out of the darkness. Right. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and this definitely... Hellraiser 2 definitely has it. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to another movie that definitely has it. <laughs> uh, good God, Cinetron Pick, our only non-sequel this week. We already <sighs> said it's the, the sequel bodies, to Bodies, Bodies. Bodies, Bodies. Uh, this is from director Helena Rujin, mm -hmm. uh, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, here we go. When a group of 20-somethings get stuck at a remote mansion during a hurricane, a party game gone very, very wrong ends with a dead body on the ground and fake friends at every turn as they try to find the killer among them. This stars Rachel Sinow, uh, Amanda Stenberg, Pete Davidson, uh, Maria Bakalova, mm -hmm. uh, Chase Sui Wonders, Lee, Lee Pace. Pace. Connor O'Malley uh, for a second. Yeah, yeah for a second. <laughs> uh, Clint, uh, what'd you think of uh, good old bodies, bodies, bodies? Well, if you listen to the end of the first one, I didn't have much hope going in, especially <laughs> with you, like just uh, yeah. hemming and hawing over there. And you're I'm just... sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I, not giving me much hope going I, in. There is no, I am not hiding anything. I no. hate you this are movie. like, yeah, hate this visibly movie. like holding your stomach in I disgust. Was, I was so mad. It was like food poisoning coming back. It again. really was. It really was. But I like this film. What? No, I Clint. did. Oh, I like this Clint. better than than talk to me. Oh, Clint. I like no. this better than talk to me. No, Clint. This is off. No, this no. is a good film. This is a no. this is a fun. Um, no, it's not. Yes, it's this is a fun re like interpretation of like a murder mystery. Like I feel like some movies that have been doing murder mysteries again could take some lessons from it. Who are you? <laughs> I don't understand I, anymore. I did. I actually really enjoyed <sighs> this. I was surprised how much I did, and I'll tell you why. Thank God, because there are a lot of annoying characters in this. Sure are. Who? I think are perfectly placed and have their moments where okay. um, they're become like you get us, you get a sense of them. And the but the thing that like was my in and made me enjoy this was Maria Bakalova, Bakalova's character B, okay. who um, she was in the recent Borat film. Yeah, yeah, and she was great in that. She's really good. And this, she is great as your. Ordinary person who is is new to the this group of friends, um, and is for a foreign to their way they operate and uh, act with each other. So she is a great endpoint to understanding how what's going to be happening. You you have you can connect with her, and she's a blank slate of like she's a, for, a foreign uh, entity to everything. Yeah. Yeah, and so that was – if it did not have that, it would not have worked for me. I would have just been surrounded by a bunch of characters that are annoying. But she was the everyday person reacting the same way I would react. And so I it worked great for me. And also – it felt like a real friends group. Yeah. Like they had, you've got a sense that they really had history. They have a uh, conflict. Even though it's negative. 
it's negative. And they they have conflicts that you don't really know if they actually like each other still, or they're just maintaining this friendships because they've had it for so many years yeah. and they've gotten to different social points. Social safety. Social safety. And they've gotten to different points in their lives where it probably should end and they should go their own ways. But like I was compelled by the mystery wow. of it. I loved also like Lee Pace was um, <laughs> yeah. So great as this older character, and you're like, why is he here? And was so like naturally funny that he was there. Like even though he wasn't a straight comedic character, he was just like, and also an outsider who really shouldn't be there. But he has this short-lived relationship with this girl, and um, and I I liked how it unfolded and the um. And where it goes by the end, I was surprised by it, and I, the setting was great. Kind of like um, what I was describing with um, Storm in the Century, where this you're just locked into this situation because of outside forces of weather. And I love the hurricane was such a nice way to keep them there and shut them off. And there, it removes that like. That tendency that everything goes towards now where iPhones are a big part of it and you're just cut off and you're left to your own devices and your um, true selves are coming out and how much you don't trust these people anymore. Um, there was a lot going on in it that I I was not expecting. <laughs> and that's fine. You don't like it. I, 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 I It's not that I don't like it. It's not. <laughs> I hate this movie. I hate everything about this. I hated the trailer for this movie. Uh, it's wrong to say I hate everything about it. I I do have a little bit of uh, enjoyment of the the twist or the answer or the killer. Um, you know, I I, th- I thought that was good. Um, but uh, other than that, just this movie, it's it, everyone in it just irritates me. To no end. Even even the your entryway girl, it's just like, why are you around these people? She why has a relationship you... with this girl and she's never met them before. It but and then she's stuck there with stays at something like I know, stuck in a I know hurricane. you're stuck. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> uh it just I okay. I, I liked it. I think it I was accept w- your opinion is valid. <laughs> And I like ninety, it. it has like a ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I I'm know not- <laughs> what it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Clint. But you're supposed to be with me on this. I saw what it has on Rotten Tomatoes. But this, <sighs> like the characters in uh, Talk to Me, annoyed me in the exact same That's way. That's why I don't understand why Talk to Me didn't work for you, but this does because it has her as an entry point. Okay, I mean that and, makes sense. And like I if that you. had that film had had that, I maybe would have felt differently. But I'm still surrounded by these twenty somethings that are uh, self so self involved that it's just kind of wears me down. And in, in yeah. this one, I like that it was a ordinary person coming to the situation and is is trying to navigate that. Um, it worked well for me, and like Pete Davidson, I actually like, he was good in it. As he was actually really funny on SNL the other week. Was he? I don't know if you saw it, yeah. but um, it was it was fun. Um, he did a good job. Yeah. So I endorse this film. Endorse this. I endorse this film. Oh my gosh, Cinnababel endorses bodies, <laughs> bodies, bodies. All right. Well, uh, I give this movie three bodies, bodies, bodies. <laughs> 
Out of three. Uh, Evil Dead 2, fantastic flick, a perfect flick in Clint's words. Uh, definitely watch it. The Evil Dead remake, I have some love for, but even I retreated from the I like it better than <laughs> Evil Dead 2 upon my latest revisit to Evil Dead 2. The Exorcist 3, definitely worth checking out. Clint and I both agree, just don't uh, don't think of it as an Exorcist film. Just go in fresh. Uh, much better that way. Hellbound Hellraiser 2, uh, excellent little sequel that improves upon the first one and improves the first one. And then Clint endorses bodies, 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 yes. uh, like a lot of Rotten Tomatoes uh, critics. But uh, poor, poor Ken. <laughs> Uh, we'll just, I guess, go watch Love and Thunder again because, you know, what else are you going to do with bodies, bodies, bodies? Yeah. Uh, but I do agree with you. I am, I'm ready for the prequel, Bodies, Bodies. Um, yeah. I would, I would watch that even though I hated the third one. Um, you know, bodies and bodies, bodies. It's strange I, that they're doing yeah, like yeah. a uh, Star Wars thing where they're, you yeah. know, working yeah. backwards, I the guess. The fourth film will be no yeah. bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just oh, like a nice man. time together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Clint and I got excited this week uh, going along the the horror sequels idea. Um, we wanted to kind of look for uh, horror sequel wish list things we wished exist as a horror sequel or uh, sequels that maybe people just are not familiar with and have not found before. That's more um, what I did. That's more what you did. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was more on the like, let me invent. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of these inspired me. I'm like, oh, what movies are out there that don't have a sequel? Man, I wish they did. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you mind if I kick things you off? You go first, yeah. Awesome. Uh, I have a lot of love for Event Horizon. Mm -hmm. I would love an Event Horizon 2, but sort of like uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, mm -hmm. my Event Horizon 2 would take place where the original ship has been exploded. Yeah. Uh, and there's just this weird light and darkness filled anomaly of some sort. Think very dark Star Trek. Uh, and uh, they they go back to explore this thing, and when they enter into this nebula or this void left behind by this explosion, uh, just all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. And the closer they get to the center of this thing, the weirder and weirder it gets. And sure enough, at the center, perfectly preserved, is that that round spiked engine oh, okay. that has somehow survived yeah. the explosion. Uh, and uh, in in my world. Uh, it ends with that thing splitting open into this giant spiral thing, and there's just some Cenobites in there, like, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> dropping some words about pain. Uh -huh. Credits. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Surprise. Mm -hmm. Event Horizon, Event Horizon 2 are in the Hellraiser universe. Uh, but <laughs> even if it wasn't that, uh, I just, I would love somebody who is not Paul W.S. Anderson to grab a hold of Event Horizon and, and do something that kind of continues on but gets super weird. And I, I would even love it if, uh, as this new crew entered into whatever this place is, you find out later, oh, they've been dead the whole time. They're in hell. And, yeah. and they're just discovering deeper and deeper that they're in hell or, or something like that or whatever that in-between space is. So I like my, it. My first one is Event Horizon 2. I like it. I would be into that. Thank you. That's Thank what you. I need to revisit because I know there. I remember there's a lot of elements of it I yep. really, really like. It really holds up. I I will defend that movie. It has a couple of '90s touches that that I wish were dialed down a bit. But honestly, there's not a lot. I, I'm not a big fan of Paul W. S. Anderson. Yeah. I I don't think he's a great filmmaker. But that's one where it just from start to finish, it, this is a really good flick. Nice. Yeah. So what what you got is your first one. My first one. So I'm doing. Lost sequels that maybe like you haven't heard of. Okay. Um, 
and just we I don't know forgot about or like I don't know they've just been put on the shelf. Okay. Um, and did you know that there is a lost sequel to Dawn of the Dead? But it was a Day of the Dead. N- no, this is a different one. This is a lost sequel. Okay, t- it's not any of the others. Um, okay. it's not Day of the Dead. Okay, or was it Land of the Dead? Land of the Dead and other things of the dead. This was after Dawn of the Dead, and they wanted to make a half-hour sitcom out of it. <laughs> okay, they, and they tried like they, live audience sitcom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they did a. I think they filmed six episodes, but only two aired. <laughs> okay, um, and it was. It was lost. So the first, like, I, so I have the first bit from the first uh, episode. If you want me to, I, I can read it out. The sit, I, I have the whole I'm scene. I'm 100% on board. Scene, I'm very interested. And I have the, the synopsis for this. So right. um, this is called Dawn of the Dawn and the Dead. That, <laughs> that was the name of the sitcom. Um, Dawn is a 24-year-old girl from a small town in Illinois. Fresh out of college, she moves to the big city of Chicago to start her adult life. Rent isn't cheap, especially on a file clerk's wages, so she decides to take a chance and respond to a one ad in the paper for a roommate in an apartment building close to her job. The rent is right and they allow pets, so her cat Frankie can keep her company. But after a few weeks of living there, she was afraid that she may be biting off a bit more than she can chew for uh, with the two roommates she'll be sharing the space with. Okay, scene one. Dawn, tired from a long day at work, enters her apartment. She's carrying groceries in her mail. Dawn, hi, I'm home. Dawn doesn't see anyone and puts her bags down. She starts thrumming, thumbing through her mail and looking for anything that could be important. Dawn, hello, are you guys home? I picked up a few things for dinner. Hope you're hungry. I promise it'll be better than the meal I made last. She hears a shuffling and an indecipherable groan coming from the roommate's bedroom. Dawn, I hope you guys aren't doing what I think you're doing. <laughs> I can last. hear the studio It'll be in there. (laughs) Just as Dawn finishes her sentence, her roommate, Janet, enters the scene. Janet is a five and a half foot woman who has clearly been dead for quite some time. (laughs) She has a large section of the left side of her face missing and black ooze coming from her mouth. Uh, Her eyes are solid white and she walks as though all of her joints have been fused together. (laughs) Janet. (laughs) Dawn. Hey, how, how was your day, Janet? Janet groans and coughs. <laughs> Don uh, is getting things ready for dinner, and she listens to Janet babble on. She notices the trash can piled high. Don, ugh, Janet, I asked you to take out the trash today. You were home all day, and it doesn't look like you did anything to help out. What did you do all day? Janet chomps and gnashes her teeth, biting off a piece of her tongue, and it falls to the ground. Dawn hears banging and things being knocked to the floor in the bathroom. Reverberated groans and frantic meows and hisses of a cat can be heard. The cat scrambles into the living room under the dining room table chair. Right behind the cat, Dawn's other roommate, Hank, shuffles in at a speed of an old man being told soup's on. Oh, it's full threes company. Yeah. Hank has clearly been dead for a while, too. His skeleton is peeking through parts of his skin, and he's missing his left arm at the elbow. (laughs) A comical amount of blood is stained his clothes a rust color. 
Hank, at a glacial pace, somehow corners the cat under the table and grabs it with his good arm. Don, no, no, no. Put the cat down. Hank, put Frank down. We don't eat friends. No. (laughs) Hank listens to Don and hesitates as he holds the cat by the scruff of the neck. The cat digs its claws to the fuzzy hilt of its paws into Hank's arm, but Hank isn't phased. Hank groans. Don, put Frank down, please. It looks like for for a second that Don's request is registering in Hank's long dead brain. But as quickly as it looks like he's going to comply, he lifts the feline above his head and throws his head back so fast you can hear his neck snap. Hank's ochre teeth are on full display and sink them to the gum into the stomach of the cat. Oh, not the cat. Tufts of hair fill the air and are followed by a mist of blood that turns into a a torrent of red. With a quick jerk, Hank rips out the cat's innards and slurps them (laughs) down. He throws the cat across the room and with a wet splat, it bounces off the wall above the sofa, painting everything in touches of blood. Don, no, Frank, what did you do? Don rushes over to the pile of mush that was her friend. She's sobbing and she pets the cat's head, hoping it isn't as bad as it looks, (laughs) knowing it is. But as she gets closer, she notices something strange about the cat. Something she doesn't recognize. A collar. Don, wait, what? She reads the inscription. Mittens? What? Who's Mittens? Just then, Frank (laughs) wanders in and goes to his food dish. Don noticed something else on the inscription of the collar. An address. Don, apartment 205? That's the landlord's. Mr. Rosenbaum's. Oh, no! (laughs) Janet and Hank both groan. Oh, no! (laughs) Cut. Cut scene. Cuts a commercial. I don't 100% watch this show. <laughs> oh, man. So that was Lost. Okay. And there was two episodes that aired. And really? Yeah. Really? For real? For real. For realsies. <laughs> okay. I, I 100% based on previous segments believe you. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely be searching that one out. I can't tell a lie. I, that's what I can tell. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, my second uh, taking this seriously <laughs> sequel uh because I have expressed my kind of disappointment in It Chapter 2 yeah. as Andy Machete made it, where it left out all of the uh, cosmic horror and the abstract stuff, mm-hmm. I would like in It Chapter 3, okay. uh, just in the movie universe. And the It Chapter 3 would adapt the cosmic horror of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be everybody's gone home, everybody's feeling good, everybody's starting to forget things, and... Really, all they've done, surprise, surprise, is they have taken Pennywise, they have destroyed his shell, and now, Nightmare on Elm Street style, mm. uh, this other entity is incorporeal and and is exposed and is capable of just freely moving about. It's more powerful. It's creepy. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It, you know, makes them have visions and nightmares. It never actually solidifies into a shape. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they beat it. Uh, but yeah, I, I would love, I just, again, that's my desperation for something abstract and weird and, and cosmic, but, uh, it chapter three. You want somebody else to make it not the same director? No, I'd be okay with him doing it. I have confidence in him doing it. 
I just, I really, yeah. I, I hate that so far both versions of it have left out that that kind of, or just kind of barely alluded to, yeah, those elements. Because in the book, it's it's oh, really sure. like kids getting sucked into other realms yeah, and yeah. having cosmic telekinetic battles, mm-hmm. and uh, I just I eat that stuff up. And I I totally get that that would be hard to to visualize and make compelling on screen, but. Man, try. Try. Just that's just all. Go for really? It. Yeah. I, I want. Whatever. Just something other than we insulted a clown until it was small enough we could smash it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my second one. Okay, my second one is did you know that there was a um prequel to Silence of the Lambs that they were they Man, were Manhunter? No, no, a, no, no. It was it follows a character from Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill. Prior to Silence of the yeah, Lambs, yeah, it's his, it's his, it's his backstory. <laughs> okay. No, I did not this know movie, this movie. This existed. movie, yes, and okay. this movie was uh, called Buffalo's Run Free. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Buffalo's Room. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Set ten years before the events of Silence of the Lambs takes place, Buffalo's Run Free follows the early events in the life of James Gum, aka Buffalo Bill, centered <laughs> around his mid twenties. Holding uh, down a normal job at a local department store shortly before his first kill. A kaleidoscope of flashbacks from his childhood and key events, life events, show us how he got to this point and became the monster we fear today. So this is a, an early scene in, okay. the, in the film. Okay, and this is a movie, not a six-episode no, sitcom? This was a movie. Just, and just this checking. really came out. Just want to know how to search YouTube for yeah. this. So opening scene. It's an ordinary day in ordinary week for James Gum. He's tending to the cosmetics counter at the local Dylan's department store. He started out working in shoes, but quickly became clear that he wasn't a good fit. One coworker <laughs> recounted seeing Gum sizing up a woman's feet, almost as if they were the shoes, and he wanted to see if they would fit him <laughs> like a pair of, of new socks. Then he was moved to clothing department. His time there was short as well. Can I ask who's playing young Buffalo Bill in all of this? Um... I can't remember the actor's name. Okay. He hasn't gone on to do much more. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you have? Uh, no, you, no, okay. no. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm in this. That's, that's, okay. I'm good. Then he was moved to the clothing department. His time there was short as well. He was always asking the women if they were a size 14. He'd try to take <laughs> their measurements when they weren't paying attention or stand back to back to them like he's eyeing up a suit to see if it fits. But now he's in cosmetics. I'm picturing Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> That one might be worse. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, um, what was the the, the vampire? Um, oh, yeah. Bones oh, and yeah. All. Oh, yeah. Just picture him dancing to 70s and 80s music. Yeah. Okay? It's there. Yeah. It's there. I'd fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Sorry. There's language in this, too. Okay. Um, okay. And now he's in the cosmetics. Okay. Uh, the first customer of the, day, of the day appears at his counter, a portly woman in her 50s. Gum. Hello, how are you today? Customer. Hi, um, I'm looking for something that might help with my crow's feet and under my eyes. Just something to take a few years off. I'd maybe settle for a few weeks or days even. Feels like I've tried everything. Gum. Well, we have a wide range of products that help us with that and more, from a range of foundations to the latest skin treatments. But may I ask, do you have a moisturizing routine of any kind? (laughs) Customer. 
Well, I have in the past, but it feels like everything I've used has left my skin so oily. Gum. Well, you must have been using something cheap from the pharmacy. <laughs> you wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> Gum, <laughs> I knew it. Am I good or what? <laughs> you are. Well, I think that's a great place for us to start. I have here our latest products all the way from Iceland. This is fantastic stuff. I use it myself. It's an exfoliating face soap made from volcanic mud. It will wash away the years. Customer, oh, that does sound great. Well, we'll follow the exfoliating soap with a moisturizing routine to give you back your youthful glow. This also from Iceland and is made from Viking semen. <laughs> Both Gum and the customer pause and Gum cracks a slow smile and says, Oh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> and they start, both start laughing. Customer, Oh, you're a dirty boy, a dirty, dirty boy. Uh, it is made from water from glaciers, though. I have a sample if you want to try it out. The customer, she hesitates and says, Oh, okay. It rubs the lotion on the skin. It does this whenever it's told. <laughs> Customer, what? Gum, I mean, you follow the instructions on the jar. I think it says twice daily. Customer, oh, okay. She starts to put on a lotion and it is visibly very pleased by the scent and the feel of the product on her face. Gum, it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> Customer, the hose... What hose? I just mean you have to stick to a routine if you want to see any results. Beauty doesn't come easily. Uh, okay, that makes sense. I think I'll take the soap and the lotion. It places the lotion in the basket? <laughs> Customer. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. It puts the fucking lotion in the basket! Gum pauses. Sorry, I just get excited when I make someone happy with our products. <laughs> the customer stares blankly at Gum and tries to smile to break the tension. Gum stares back, hoping he hasn't blown the sale. Right, I'll ring you up and you can be on your way to melting the years away. Customer, okay, great, thank you. <laughs> Is this prior to any kills, or has yeah. he already... Okay. Yeah, he hasn't done any kills. So that's what drove him to killing, no. is his time as a sales clerk. Well, that's when he got really into lotions. and But, like, I felt like it was kind of lazy. It was, like, kind of what we were talking about, sequels, where uh -huh. it's really drawing on the things oh, you I think gotcha. people likes, and you think yeah. that they, he, they were really into the catchphrases of Bill. Yeah. And so they really, I felt like we're really trying to push that. And it wasn't, it wasn't. It was forced. It was, it was forced. It was, it was, I hear you. I hear you. I, I don't know. All right. I'll totally find this real lost film on. Yeah. Buffalo's uh, Run Free. Tubi or something. Yeah. It's, okay. on, it's on Tubi probably. Uh, my third and final, because, uh, you know, I follow assignments. Uh, <laughs> is I, I imagined, and, and this I came at sideways mm -hmm. uh, from a very strange direction, but do you remember in early Game of Thrones the relationship between Kat and Rob where Kat messes up and so she's sort of a prisoner, but she's still this new King of the North's mother yeah. and she's still kind of advising him, but they have this really tense relationship. Mm -hmm. Picture that, but it's it's a sequel to Rosemary's Baby. 
Mm. And her baby has grown up to be the very adult Antichrist. Yeah. He is in business. He's in politics. He's in all sorts of things. And kind of secluded and just kind of imprisoned in this very nice, you know, seemingly idyllic apartment complex is his mother. Mm. And it's just this relationship between the mother who's trying to gain influence, but has over the years, just like at the end of the movie, kind of gone mad right. with the realization that this is all real. And and, and so it's just this weird uh, psychological thriller of mother who is insane, unsure of whether to embrace her son's dreams uh, or to, you know, try to do some good for the world. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea where it goes, but it's just like, oh, that's that's a cool concept. Somebody pick that up and run with it. Mom and son. Son is half demon Antichrist. On his way uh, up. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's cool. I don't know. I just, I, uh, uh, no, no laugh track. Unfortunately, but uh, not everything needs it. No, you know what? uh, (laughs) What you what you uh, find your your very real third third pick? My third pick. Well, this is kind of deviating away because this is not a sequel, but this was a weird product tie-in that I don't know. Like (laughs) that, I don't know how this worked or where it aired or what they were, when they were, who they were trying to push this towards. But, um, this was a product. This is ties into some of our conversation, a movie we talked about. Um, and this is the Hellraiser. Um, the Hellraiser. Yeah. The Hellraiser. The Hellraiser. New from Gillette. Does your daily shave sometimes feel like torture being put upon you by the interdimensional beings from a hellscape of pain and never-ending agony? Well, it's time to give your daily shave hell. Introducing the Gillette Hellraiser, an eight-bladed leviathan built by science to give you the closest shave inhumanly possible. The first blade lifts the hair and glides the skin down in a way for a very close shave. The second blade follows the same motion, but gets even closer. The third blade is serrated steel. It grabs and pulls the hair up above the surface of the skin, cutting so close you'll almost forget you even had facial hair. Most razors stop there, but not Hellraiser. This is followed by a second serrated blade that oscillates slightly and digs under the epidermis to get deep below the hair. The fifth blade may look rusty, and that's because it is. <laughs> this blade goes deeper still, getting under the hair follicle and giving the hair no place to hide. Don't worry, some bleeding is normal at this point in the shave. The fifth blade is followed by a sanding strip made of metal shavings aggregate. This loosens the skin's hold on the remaining hair. The sixth blade is dull, really dull, like won't cut paper dull, and uh, won't do much of anything. The final seventh and eighth blades are oriented vertically and are cutting cutting deep, deep into the skin. This is to help section off the cutting areas of the face into strips and to make the work easier for the blades that are digging and pulling the unwanted hair and flesh. The blades are followed by four evenly spaced barbed hooks that dig deep into the dermis strips and pull them off for disposal or consumption. Mm. After the barbed dirty hooks, there is a self-lubricating medicated strip. This is also connected to a small reservoir of rubbing alcohol located in the handle to disinfect your freshly opened wounds. 
just squeeze the razor's handle to prime the strip. Also, the handle is barbed and covered in what looks like pins for a secure grip. This will leak some of the rubbing alcohol from the reservoir on occasion, helping to disinfect your hand from the barbs and pins. We at Gillette believe we are offering the closest shave any world has ever seen. We believe that by the end of your experience with this product, you won't be able to differentiate between pain and pleasure. And we know you won't care when you have a shave this close. Give your shave hell with Hellraiser. I don't know when this list was like maybe between oh. after one and the success of it and Gillette got on board thinking this was a good product. I don't know. I just remember the jingle. It was always in my head, you know, just Hellraiser. Mm. Give your shave hell. <laughs> oh, man. I actually genuinely want to see that exist <laughs> as a thing. Uh, or as a commercial, not as an actual razor. I, yeah. I, I want to see that exist as a commercial because, <laughs> oh my gosh, I would have lost my mind watching that. I hope when you put sound effects to all of this, there's just screaming oh, yeah, in the yeah, background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe, which dawned on me afterwards, I believe there was an SNL sketch where there was like a razor that had I too many the, blades. Yeah, I remember that. But, but this is... Uh, yeah, this is... Yeah. This is 100% better. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> well, we are uh, not going to do Cinetron this week um, because our next episode is actually going to be dedicated to Mike Flanagan's The House of Usher. Yeah. And we'll, we'll Cinetron spin at the end of that. Yeah, yeah. But we're just going to – we're going to devote a whole episode sort of like we did with Midnight Mass. We're going to devote that to House of Usher. Uh, if you want to watch it along with us, get on that. Uh, it's on Netflix. Eight and episodes. it is eight episodes. Yeah. It's a very – uh, easy watch. Um, it just it it pulls you from one to the next. But I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. And I'm excited. I know you haven't finished it quite yet, but I'm excited to uh, to see how you uh, come away from it. Yeah, I have like two or three more left. Cool. Yeah. And and we'll also talk about Mike Flanagan, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about where House of Usher, House of the House of the Usher, fall of the, fall of the House of Usher, yeah. falls on. Uh, you know, just kind of his scale of productions and whether it's better or worse or uh it's it's hard to be worse i don't mean it that way just you know was it better than Midnight i think Mass? almost was it better worse than... i think it's almost preferring yeah yeah it's it's a preference thing because his, I, his series are very done high a, quality i don't think he's done a bad one i'm prepping because you've watched uh bly house and uh house on haunted hill, haunted hill. i'm watching both of those okay. before our episode so i'll have my mike flanagan kind of catalog complete uh, but I'm excited about that. But we'll spend Cinetron at the end of that episode. Okay. Uh, for now, you can contact us uh, at Cinebabble on Instagram or at contact at CinebabbleCast.com. Uh, send us some questions or send us some thoughts on Flanagan, Stephen King, uh, anything else that is in the Flanaverse uh, mm. of, of things that he's kind of into and inspired by. Because uh, we could definitely throw some some Q&A in there and, and do a mailbag with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I just... Man, now I just I'm so excited for his series. He's also moving from Netflix to Amazon, and that's oh, really? where uh, the Dark Tower series is mm. going to be. As according to him, as soon as uh, the writer strike and actor strike are done, which one of the two is, right. uh, they're off and running with Dark Tower. That's uh, awesome. And I just I cannot wait to see 
what he does uh, with that series. Um, well, I mean, with all, like, not to spoil it, but like, I've enjoyed every series he's done. Yeah, and even yeah. things where I wasn't super excited about it yep. going in, he does something so interesting yeah. and so good with characters and developing yep. characters that you really care and feel something for them. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm very, very precious about Dark Tower. Yeah. But it's the characters. I don't oh. care what he changes. I don't care what he adapts. I don't care what he leaves out. He has such an intuitive and smart way of of choosing what goes on the screen and what's better unseen or um, you know, even when he's adapted stuff like with Doctor Sleep, he made such smart changes to things that uh, I just mm, I can't wait. I mean I know people have opinions a bit about Dr. Sleep, but like when I heard about it, it almost felt sacrilegious that yep. it was going to happen. And mm -hmm. I was so blown away by what he did with it. And yeah. um, in the same way, like we were talking about sequels, um, did new interesting things that are not trying to reinvent the yeah. first film, but like just expand. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what yeah. he he, how he yeah. continues. So that's that's episode 94. It'll be right up uh, before Halloween. Looking forward to that. And uh, this, otherwise, has been episode 93 of Cinebabble. Yeah. Uh, it's been a good time with horror sequels. Mm -hmm. Go watch some of these things. There are good horror sequels out there. Let us know if there's any horror sequels that you would oh, should tell us to watch. Because like, I like we that. And tell us why. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate the questions, but man... Write some more and tell us, like, if if you're recommending something, what is it about it that worked for you? So if we disagree and we don't enjoy it, we're at least still talking about why somebody did. Mm -hmm. um, I yeah, that'd be really cool. Why, yeah, why it worked for you? Yeah. yeah, that's there you go. There's your assignment, man. Send us some recommendations and that'll be cool. I like that idea, Clint. All right, well, this has been episode 93. It was a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys have yourself a good one, and Clint. Uh, you have yourself a good one as well. Make more short films and win them awards. All right, Ken. I'll see you later. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.